Welcome this morning uh, to Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. My name is Frank Wong. To those of you that are new here, um, it's great to have, be with you guys this morning. A happy Father's Day to all of you, all you dads out there. Um, it's great to see all of you finally uh, and be up front and to, to worship with you guys. Um, first, a few uh, announcements. Um, our Sunday school is hopefully going to be uh, starting up in July, on July 12 uh, in a couple, a few more weeks. And so we still need um, several teachers. So if you would be called and willing to do that, please uh, do talk to Courtney Stein. And then uh, please also note that we do have a church picnic on July 5. Um, and so there should be details going out relatively soon for that. If you would like to help uh, coordinate that and volunteer for that, please talk to Andrea Pagani. And lastly, uh, none of this happens unless we have folks manning our sound table and uh, we could always use more folks uh, to help with that rotation. So please, if you would be willing to learn um, how to help us run sound, please talk to uh, Dr. Silvernail. But we've really come to worship. Oh, I probably need to talk about um, uh, safety precautions, I think, is next. Oh, yeah. Okay, so there we go. So um, as you can, if you were here last week, this is uh, a, a refresher. If you were, this is the first time that you've come back, um, please note that we are trying to keep things sort of one way in terms of uh, traffic flow. So you'll be coming in this door back here on my right, your left, and exiting uh, the door back here on my left, your right. Um, if you need to go to the bathroom, please head out that door and not the other one. Uh, please, you know, wash your hands, use uh, the hand sanitizer. Um, of course, we'll be keeping our masks on um, as well, and we'll also be dismissing by section at the end of the at the end of the service. As you can see here, that will be sort of the dismissal um, pattern. So please, this will be back up at the end of the service, so you'll be able to sort of see where you're going. But we're here to worship, right? We're here to worship together. That's what we're going to be uh, I'm going to be preaching on this morning, but it's good to just be in the house of the Lord together. So let's turn our attention to, uh, to worship and let's call ourselves to worship from Psalm 122. I'll be the leader and you'll be the people. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates O Jerusalem, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. 
For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let us pray. Father God, as we have come together this morning, we come to worship you. Uh, Lord, we rejoice in the blessing that it is to come together. But Lord, we need you to focus our hearts and our minds uh, upon you, that we might worship you well. Uh, that we might uh, come to see your goodness and your grace. So, Lord, would you uh, be with us now as we worship? Uh, focus us upon you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
it's great again to see all of you. Um, I, I am, as I was sort of singing, I, it struck me that you guys don't have a bulletin in front of you. Um, but remember that the bulletin is online, so if you would want to sort of haul out your phones and look at it as you go, you can. Um, just wanted to remind you of that. But now uh, we have the privilege of welcoming Chris Roddy into membership. So if Chris would come down. Um, Chris, uh, Chris went through the new members class way back before the pandemic started. Uh, and he, he has never had the opportunity to get up and profess his faith in front of a whole congregation. And so because of that, um, he's had to wait until we've started up uh, uh, services again to join formally. So he gets to join this morning. Um, I'll be asking five questions of you uh, so that you can affirm and profess your faith, okay? And so um, please just respond as I finish. So first, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in, sight of God, in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? I do. And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? I do. And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the follower of Christ? I do. And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? I do. And lastly, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? I do. Congratulations, Chris. Welcome to the family. <laughs> what a joy it is to welcome a new member as we have come back to gather uh, together to worship. So welcome to, welcome to Potomac Hills, Chris. Thank you. Okay, so now it is time as uh, we have uh, finished seeing a profession of our faith to go to the Lord uh, in prayer. So um, the prayer should be on... Uh, the screen behind me, please do pray with me uh, the bold, uh, bold uh, lettering. We'll be praying responsively. So let us read together uh, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. On behalf of your church throughout the world, for this congregation and for our sister PCA churches in Northern Virginia, uh, inhabit and bless the worship services, we pray, in person and online, of King's Cross PCA in Ashburn, First Asian Indian PCA in Herndon, Grace Covenant PCA in Herndon, and McLean PCA in McLean. Lord, hear our prayer. For the Presbyterian Church in America, we pray that the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit would hover over our denomination. The honor Christ, uh, and the honor Christ reigns supreme and uh, the fellowship of Christ flourish. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who are suffering for, our right, for righteousness sake, show yourself strong on their behalf. For those who have lost their way and exchanged your glory for their own reputation, reclaim them. For those who are working and toiling, spending and being spent for your honor, fill up what is lacking and cause your work to prosper in their hands. Lord, hear our prayer. Holy God, look upon the president, the governor, our representatives, and all others in authority. Remind them that they lead and rule at your pleasure and by your permission. Remind them that they govern for the common good of all people in our land, not just one group above another. Remind them that their leadership is supposed to reflect your justice and righteousness. Yes, remind them and direct them. Lord, hear our prayer. Loving Lord, be pleased to grant to our nation social, educational, and economic recovery. May every inhabitant of our land make considerable progress in honorable, upright lives, relationships, uh, vocations, education, and families. Lord, hear our prayer. 
with all the instability and insufficiency in this world, we ask you to guide the nations of the earth into the way of justice and truth, establishing among them that peace which is the fruit of righteousness, and bring them to love you and their neighbors. Lord, hear our prayer. O God, all our spoken and unspoken requests we present to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. And now it is time to confess our sins, for we are called to confess, uh, to make known how we have transgressed. And so confess with me with the words printed on the screen behind me. Father, teach us not to sin with such abandon. We do it all so easily. Pretend, lie, envy, lust, criticize, brood, ignore, deny, consume, hoard, defame, distort, make excuses, and then expect an easy forgiveness for the asking. God, forgive us for our negligence of your holy character. Let us not misinterpret your patience with our sin as though it were permissiveness. Loving Father, astonish us with a wholesome, godly fear, which will not drive us to despair, but cause us to number our days and get us hearts of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And now hear the assurance of pardon, which comes from Acts chapter 4. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so now let us sing our praises um, and worship uh, with the doxology. Sorry it is so hot here. Um, hopefully you'll bear with us uh, as we sort of suffer together. So again, uh, happy Father's Day to all of you. I can't tell you how excited I am to be preaching in front of you instead of to a camera in an empty office on a Saturday, right? So um, again, it's great to be with all of you. Um, since we haven't been together in a really long time, we haven't had the opportunity to sort of mark some of the big milestones in life um, because we haven't been together. And one of those big milestones is graduation. We've had a number of folks graduate from various levels of education. Uh, from high school, Nathan Hunter has graduated, uh, Wesley Dorst, Rachel Behringe, Jackie Ware. Congratulations to all of you for completing high school. Uh, that's really exciting. Emma Clifton. Woohoo! Finished college. Um, Emily Murphy as well. Woo! Um, and then from grad school, we have Dr. Ben Dyke, uh, finished his PhD, I believe. And then Gail Spence finished her master's back in December. So it's been a really long time, but congratulations. So congratulations to all of you. And uh, since Dr. Dave is not here, he's um, he was He's down in, uh, I think, North or South Carolina officiating uh, the funeral of, uh, helping officiate the funeral of Margaret Rambish. Um, but while he's not here, let us take time to give thanks for him. Um, he has provided leadership throughout this whole period. Uh, and it's right and thankful that we give praise to the Lord for the work that Dr. Dave has done for us. The amount of literature that he has gone through to prepare our distancing, 
first and then reopening plans is kind of outrageous. There's this big, thick stack of paper because he doesn't like to read things on his screen, of course, right? Big, thick stack of paper, just sort of with a million different uh, plans. And he sort of pulled that all together to sort of give us guidance and leadership uh, throughout this time. And he's worked really hard. I just want to tell you that he's worked really hard to keep us informed, uh, focused, and encouraged throughout this time. Okay, and so thanks be to God for Dr. Dave while he's not here to um, be embarrassed about that, right? So, and then finally, a quick word of context for our sermon today. You know, we've taken a break from our series in Mark to talk about the importance of worship and gathering for worship. It seemed like a good time to sort of stop and think about what we're doing uh, when we come together to worship. And we've been apart for, for so long, we just want to be thoughtful about just what we've missed, uh, what we've lost in sort of worshiping as a church distributed. And we want to be thankful about what, we, what we're doing here and now together to meditate on why we worship and why we gather specifically uh, to worship so that we can give praise for those specific blessings that we're receiving back now as we gather together. And since I'll be preaching to the choir a little bit, um, since you all are here, uh, and for the most part, those online also plan to return, so I'm preaching to the choir with them as well. And yes, uh, I am aware that uh, sort of those worshiping at home today might feel a little guilty about not being here because of the sermon topic, about the importance of gathering together, uh, but they ought not to be. Don't be don't feel guilty. Why? Because as long as there's a day that they plan to come back, you're doing what is wisest for their, your family, right? You're doing what is uh, wisest for your family. And so this is really only meant to point you to blessings that you need and will enjoy upon your return. And so there's a season for everything, right? Uh, and this season might be one of distancing. And, but seasons change and they come and go. And when this season passes, uh, we'll rejoice when we're reunited with all those that are worshiping at home. And so while this will be n hopefully nothing new to all of you, um, it's still good to think through and reminded why we do what we do. And so, of course, since this will be more of a topical sermon, we're going to be jumping around a lot to several different passages to answer questions and address some of those, some sort of common misunderstandings. Um, so if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. Hebrews 10, and Ephesians 2. So three, three passages, so if you want to do that. But uh, while you're doing that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come back, to worship together in person, to see each other, to enjoy each other's presence. Lord, we ask that uh, we would enjoy your presence that you would be here now, speaking through me uh, and through your word, that we might uh, know and see your plan for our lives and that we might see that it is good. But most of all, we ask that we would see that our gathering together would be uh, your gospel purpose, uh, one of the gospel purposes that you have for us in, our, in your salvation for us. So Lord, be with us now. Uh, show us that uh, we are united in you. So Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me set the stage as you're probably still turning to three different passages. Let me set the stage. Captain America is standing alone across the shallow valley with, uh, you know, with an enormous alien army complete with tanks and flying dragons uh, across from him, right? Battered and bleeding, he hauls himself upright and looks at his broken shield of vibranium, which is, of course, supposedly indestructible. And as he surveys the battlefield and the forces against him, his eyes sort of harden. And you can see the resolve. And he tightens his straps on his broken shield as he steals himself for battle against overwhelming odds. And Captain America will, by sheer force of will, bring himself, and by extension, the whole universe, because that's what's at stake, the whole universe, to victory over impossible odds. And that is like crazy, right? 
that's heroic and amazing. But really what it does is it shows us this individual spirit, right? This individual spirit to prevail over anything and everything. And it really stands out as a distinctly American trait, right? In some cases, that's the way we prefer it, to beat every obstacle in our way by ourselves, right? With no help from anybody else. And that's the same kind of spirit that sort of pioneered the West and opened up the country to new vistas and new lands. It said that we were going to go out into the unknown and make our mark on the world with nothing but ourselves to count on, right? It's that rugged spirit that just sort of says, I can do it by myself. And so it makes it really fitting, right, that Captain America is the super superhero left standing at the end of uh, Avengers Endgame facing down Thanos' army. And honestly, that sort of individual spirit that Captain America embodies pervades really everything that we do, right, as Americans. It pervades everything that we do. And it even pervades our spiritual lives, right? It usually makes us prideful and isolated. So, for instance, we tend to be really slow to share our struggles, uh, spiritually speaking. Rather, wanting to sort of figure things out secretly, without anybody else knowing, uh, regardless of our terrible track record at actually putting to death that sin pattern, right? Like, let's be honest, if we're struggling with it, and we've struggled with it for a really long time, but we're not willing to get any help for it, right? And it's not just sort of our individual lives that are affected too. Our individualistic sort of bent leads some to approach church as consumers, picking churches based on what I get out of it, and leaving churches when things sort of get hard, because they don't go the way that I want them to go, right? And so you can see that individualistic sort of spirituality always, be, always beginning and ending with whom? With me. My righteousness, my needs, my desires, my preferences, right? And it usually leads to protection of sin and idolatry and a lack of accountability. And all of that is a really big problem because that's not the picture of the church that is painted in the Bible. Right? That's not the picture of who we ought to be. Instead, we see people needing others to do what they cannot and to call them back to the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be hitting four passages, uh, three passages actually, across um, three books that will hopefully weave together to remind us that we, one, absolutely need each other and need others, and two, that I need you to be actually present and three, that the gospel unites different people into one family of God. So one, we absolutely need each other. Two, that I need you to be present. And three, that the gospel unites different people into one family of God. And so if you can turn again in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, Hebrews 10, and Ephesians 2, we'll be headed there first. So 1 Corinthians 12 first. Hopefully it's on there. So before we read that, one of the more interesting trends that our sort of individualistic culture has produced is the rise of the folks that say that they like Jesus, but not the church, right? And it's interesting because you can see it directly come out of good theology, not bad theology, but good theology. Um, we've spent years and years talking about the need for a personal relationship with Christ, right? An individual salvation. And we've emphasized that really all you need is Jesus. And that's true. And then it's an easy move, right, to take that language just one step too far and say, I just need Jesus, and that means I don't need anyone or anything else. And so do you hear that individualism there, that I just need Jesus and I don't need anyone else? And so besides, right, like the church is a mess, right? The church is full of sinful people that hurt one another on a constant basis and consistent basis as well. And it's really hard to look at Christianity um, in, in America and not really sort of cringe just a little bit, right? Broken people aren't pretty, and the church is full of them. And so why would anybody really want to be a part of the church, to be quite honest? Like, we're all a mess. But the Jesus not church crowd, right, has forgotten one really big thing, that we were never meant to lone wolf it. And so listen... Uh, to 1 Corinthians 12, that, and it's saying that we were meant to be one, uh, members of one body. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31. 
For just as the body is one and it has, mem- has many members and all the members of the body and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those, par- uh, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and, be- and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has com- so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And all of that pretty much blows up the notion that you can actually get Jesus by yourself, right? Rather, it tells us that we absolutely need the other members of the body. Sure, you could cut people out, but that would be to reject a critical component of God's plan to bless, grow, and sanctify you. But even more than that, to cut people out or to even keep them at arm's length is to miss the fullness of God's salvation. Salvation isn't simply about you because sin isn't simply about you. Sin didn't just destroy our relation, our individual individual relationship with God, but it also destroys our relationship to each other. And so we cannot have a full salvation without a full reconciliation as well. And so our salvation isn't partial, it's full. It redeems us and restores and uh, not just our relationship with God, but also our relationship with others. So we were never meant to do this by ourselves. There are so many ways that I can't do everything because I'm weak, incompetent, and blind, right? And so let's go, th- go through those three things, weak, weakness, incompetence, and blindness, right? So for instance, I'm rarely able to overcome sin patterns in my own life without help, right? I've already said that. I'm weak. I can't do it on my own, so I need others. And then what about incompetence? Well, that one's really easy. Uh, I'm like the world's worst youth pastor because I don't play guitar, <laughs> right? Like, or piano. And so thank God for the Eli's of the church, right? That can sort of fill in what I lack. And what about blindness? Well, folks, we all have our blind spots that we can't see them ourselves, right? That's why they're called blind spots. And I need folks that can see things that I can't to point things out to me and reveal my biases, my sins, my prejudices, so that I can change. I will not change because, unless that happens because I can't see it, right? And so in short, I need all of you to fill in where I can't um, and to set me straight, to be the physical and vocal embodiment of the Holy Spirit and Christ helping me and calling me to righteousness and repentance, right? That's what I need you to do. And you can't do that from afar. I need you right here in my face so that I can't get away from it, right? When you're on Zoom, I can just like, and call, (laughs) right? It's really easy. 
So I really actually need you to be present in my life, not just to help me, uh, help me and call me to repentance, but also, like those are the negative things, but also to do the positive things, to encourage me, to support me, to show me Jesus, in fact. And so let's turn over to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, to see why I need each of you to be present in my life. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now quickly, the first five verses, verses 19 through 23, basically set out what we have in Christ. It's all the wonder and blessings that we have in Christ. They call us to set our hearts and our hopes upon the blood of Jesus, which gives us the most precious treasure which is Christ himself. And this is sort of the beauty that Dr. Dave talked about last week, that thing that captivates us and reminds us that he is alone is worthy and worthy in himself, not because of what he does for us, but because of who he is. But those last two verses talk about what that beauty drives us to do for each other. It's not just a sort of personal, individual call to believe, but a personal, Uh, a corporate interpersonal call to what? To stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each, uh, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. In short, to be present with each other in the gospel and for the gospel. And this is why we can't stay online forever, right? Because Zoom Zoom and video worship are a pale imitation of real life. They allow us to be with each other in the gospel and for the gospel, but they don't actually enable us to be present. And let me explain. Parents of young children, you can empathize with me here. When we're on a Zoom call, uh, what happens? We get the relationship and the connection of being able to talk to another person, but none of the actual support of having somebody else there to help me deal with my kids, right? Sure, you can commiserate with me about how hard it is, but my wife and I still are doing all of the parenting by ourselves. When it really was meant to be a community undertaking, right? They say that it takes a village to raise a kid. Well, our village isn't present with us. They're trapped behind a screen. And so simply speaking, y'all can't help me raise my kids through Zoom. Sure, you can help me stay sane and you can encourage me, but you can't be a presence in my kids' lives through a screen. And besides, how much real connection are you getting when you have little children in the background? You spend like 80% of your time on mute, right? Sometimes you even have to turn off your video because you're so embarrassed, right? Like it's hard to do online worship and, or online interaction with little children. It's just really hard. Okay, it might even be hard for some of our our parents with high schoolers. (laughs) But, you know, we don't simply lose a presence that helps with crowd control, right? Gone are the meals served when you have people over that sort of take the burden off of uh, wives or husbands. Gone are the words of reconciliation spoken to a crying child who is having trouble playing with friends. Gone are the hugs and the small touches of solidarity and support. Gone are the looks of understanding even from older parents as I wrangle screaming children horrified and mortified and embarrassed, right? Those interactions describe and demonstrate presence, and you can't replicate that online. Why? Because most of the time you just miss those small looks, right? Plus, Zoom enables us to curate to a certain degree what people see, right? It's easy for me to be on my best behavior for an hour and a half youth youth group Zoom call. 
It's relatively easy to keep up a good Christian veneer if I only have to do it for a little while during community group. It's really much harder to keep it all together to sort of hide all of my sin patterns when we're not just meeting on Sunday morning, but we're meeting throughout the week, when I actually interact with all of you throughout the week. It's harder when you're right there with all the world to see, right? Instead of behind a screen. Because, you know, video feeds can be turned off, mics can be turned off, right? You can't do that in real life. And so what's real and full about life online? There's really nothing real and full about it. And so the, the loss of others' presence in my life and the sort of performance quality that we sometimes have in online interactions aren't the only issues that we have online. Verse 24 in Hebrews 10 calls us to stir up one another, not to be stirred up by others. And so it's a call to participate, right? Just as you can't be present in my life fully through Zoom or through video worship or from afar, I can't be present in your life either. And that's actually probably worse for me because I'm no longer thinking about how I can serve you. Now I'm thinking about how I can serve me. I move from a gospel-centered life of service to one that is gospel-centered about me, all about me, all about my desires, my hopes, my feelings, my anxieties, and I never get outside of myself, okay? And so it ends up being about me and myself 24-7. And so, friends, we were made for person-to-person interactions, right? If we go all the way back to the creation, Why did Adam need Eve? He needed a person-to-person interaction. And what about Jesus, right? Jesus, our Savior, affirms this need in the incarnation, right? When he took on human flesh so God could interact with us person-to-person. Honestly, we don't do very well when we're off by ourselves for an extended period of time. And so as we slowly make our way back into um, sort of person-to-person church, right, whether you're here now or planning to come back at sort of the end of the summer or whenever, we ought to rejoice at the restoration or future restoration of the many blessings that come with being present, right? Presence, I tell you, is like 90, 90, maybe 95% of the game. If you want to be impactful in somebody's life, all you have to do is show up most of the time, okay? I don't do really anything special with the youth. I think they love me because I'm there, and there day in, day out for them. And so it is with all of you. The reason why I know that you love me is because you are here for me day in and day out, that you are here every week, present in my life. And I hope that you feel the same for, from Dave and I, right? is that we want to be present in your lives in a real way that you can't sort of censor like you can censor online. And so where does that bring us? I need you because I can't do it alone. And we need to be present in a way that is far more than we can achieve online. Um, And so yet the reasons why I would want to do it alone are still present, right? Just because I'm called and I need it doesn't necessarily mean that I want it. The church is still a wreck. It's still filled with sinful people that are wildly different from me in a million different ways. So why would I want to invite all of that into my life, right? So even though I might need it, even though there are blessings to be had, I still might not want it, which brings us to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, 
so, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place, place for God by the Spirit. And so we've talked about why we need folks, but the, still, the issue still remains of how to actually make that community do what we need it to do, which is encourage us in Christ. So how do a whole bunch of sinners with a million, different, a million differences come together, come together to make a supportive, functional, healthy church? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. So look, the Bible acknowledges that the church is made up of a whole bunch of different people that have a million reasons to dislike each other. Political views, personality type, NFL fandom, um, skin color, accent, socioeconomic status, and, or just like a careless word spoken that just sort of irritates you. That could be a source of division, right? The Bible doesn't say that we're all the same. Rather, it affirms that we're different. If you look closely at the pronouns that are used here in Ephesians 2, there's a clear us versus you dynamic. Paul is clearly saying that there are differences. There is a you over there that are different and an us over here that are the same. And the difference here in Ephesians is between the Jews and the Gentiles. And they have a long history of hating each other, right? A long ingrained prejudice against each other. They have different races, different languages, different customs, different diets, different values, different priorities, different political allegiances, just about diff different everything, right? And yet what has happened? Let's read verses 13 to 14 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so the gospel of grace makes us one in Christ. And how? How does it work? It works this way. Jesus died for you individually, right? All of your sins were placed upon him, and he paid the penalty that you individually deserved. And so all of his righteousness, goodness, and life were given to you. And up to this point, right, as we sort of work our way through the gospel, that's fairly straightforward for us. Jesus saved me. We can get that. Like, Jesus saved me. Fine. Great. But Jesus also saved the person over there that I think is a pro-choice monster. Jesus also saves this person over here that's a racist. And Jesus, for some reason, saves this guy over there that likes the New England Patriots. I don't get it, right? Normally, Dave, Dr. Dave would be sitting over there. It sort of loses something when he's not present, right? You see, right? Uh, <laughs> so you see, the gospel of grace sort of cuts across all of us, all that reminds us, um, across all of that, right? And it reminds us that we are united because of grace, right? Grace is given to the undeserved and paid for by the victimized right? Grace is tough because it's costly to me. And yet that's exactly what Christ did for each of those people that I revile and have contempt for in my head, right? Those people that we think, oh, they're so stupid. How could they possibly believe that? Jesus died for them. You're reviling them in your head. I'm reviling them in my head, right? And <laughs> You know, I like to say that grace and the gospel moves us. It moves us from a place of sin to the cross and then to grace. And that means it moves me from looking at all the things that I find objectionable and terrible in you to seeing you as Christ does, precious and beloved. 
And so the gospel is the only way that we will ever see true reconciliation between sinners. Not only because, well, because only in grace and the gospel can we push together toward righteousness in repentance and forgiveness. You see, the blood of Jesus doesn't just change our eternal destination. It changes who we are fundamentally. We are no longer strangers and aliens, wary and potentially angry with one another, but rather we're brothers and sisters in the household of God. And so the differences don't go away, right? They're still there to cause tension, angst, anger, resentment, and conflict. But then in Christ, it just becomes normal family life. Siblings squabble over important things, but at the end of the day, they love each other fiercely. Things may come between us, but nothing will ever separate us. You will always be my brother or my sister, my father or my mother. I will always love and pursue my family, regardless of how crazy they make me or how wrong I think they are. Why? Because they're my family. And I will chase them to the ends of the earth. And so would each one of you. And that's what it means to be united in Christ in the church. And so let's talk family life as we wrap up this morning. It's Father's Day. And I haven't really said much to, to the dads this morning. And so I'll end with some words for guys like me. Dads, we often look at our families that we are to lead and love as Christ loves the church. And we can easily see all the things that drive us crazy, right? kids that don't obey, kids that don't listen, right? I sometimes don't understand anything that goes through my wife's head, right? Because I just don't understand her sometimes, right? And as the heads of the house, we sometimes let that position go to our heads a little bit and get this notion that things should work the way that I want them to work, right? But what does leadership in Christ look like? Certainly not American individualism right? And so it means that we can't afford to think that we have to or can do it all on our own. We can't be dads all on our own. We need brothers and mentors to be present in our lives, helping us to look at the gospel in all the craziness that is family life. We need to start opening up to one another, being vulnerable about what we're struggling with in our marriages and in our parenting. Guys, we're in an epidemic of isolationism. We need each other, and most of the time, our pride gets in the way, okay? And so it also means that we need to be present, even after a long day of work. Fellas, I get it. We get home, and sometimes all we want to do is flop on the couch, turn on the TV, or flip through our phone in peace. But what we need to be is we need to be present in the lives of our kids, and in the lives of our wives, right? They desperately need us to be present and there. And so what does that mean? It means when we come home, we don't get to just sort of turn off. And that's exhausting. And so how does this work? How can we do it? Because I feel like I'm already stretched to the breaking point. We do it in Christ, knowing that he is there right there with us to help us. And it means that we need to get grace and the, and the gospel far more than we currently do. All those squabbles and fights and annoyances, all the late nights, the early mornings, they all need grace. They need forgiveness. And that doesn't come cheap. It's hard. And so only when we're overflowing with the abundance of, of Christ can we hope to do that. Only when we are full beyond measure, rejoicing and joyful and content in Christ, can we hope to be good fathers, to achieve what Christ has set us out to do. And so wives, children, friends that are here this morning and are listening online, your dads need you to remind them of these things, to call us back to the grace that flows from our Savior and to forgive us when we fail. We need you to be present in our lives. We need you to speak words of grace to us. You know, we're in this together despite all of our differences. 
For the blood of Jesus has bound us together in the one in whom we delight. That's why we do what we do, why we come together. It's because we need to see Jesus in each other. And so let's pray. Father God, there is much that divides us. There is much that makes us angry, that makes us upset. There is much that makes us murder each other in our hearts. And yet, Lord, you have saved those people that we revile in our hearts. You have saved those people that we have contempt for. Lord, would you change us? Would you change our, our perspectives, that we would see people as your children, loved, beloved, precious, that we would see ourselves as such, that we would see our need of others, that we would not, that we would not isolate because of our sin. Lord, help us to change all of that, that we might be one, one with brothers and sisters uh, in you, one with our fellow man, that we might see reconciliation come because of grace. Lord, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it ourselves, but we need you. So Lord, uh, would you fill us with your gospel, with your grace, and would it overflow in all that we do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's rise up as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, daughters and Oh,
it's great worshiping. Benediction from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. Thank <laughs> you.